It's good to be home. <laughs> have some couple really good things to share with you before we start our lesson. At our food pantry this past Thursday, uh, we were able to help. Those that helped there were able to feed 49 families that amounted to about 185 people. It's one of the busiest days that they had, have had since we started that back in 2007. Uh, we're up into the thousand, 15 or 16,000, I think, maybe the last time, I'm sure that number is wrong, but of people that we've helped with our food pantry. Along that line, I want to share something else with you. One of our members told us that uh, one of their grandchildren and uh, uh, their grandchild's um, boyfriend were driving past the building, and um, the grandchild said, that's where my grandma worships. And this young man said, when we first moved to Auburndale seven years ago, that church helped us with food, and they were the nicest people. So we may not see the rewards of what we're doing in this lifetime, uh, but we're making an impact, and it's a, a good work, and many of those that have been involved with the food pantry have been involved with it from the beginning and have worked hard. And uh, if it's something that you think that might be part of your service to God, uh, they're always looking for more people. Uh, it's an opportunity to meet people that um, just need a help up and maybe a kind word and maybe even a hug once in a while to help them through their day. A lady by the name of Linda Ellis wrote a poem that begins... I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we lived and loved and how we spent our dash. We think about it, it pretty much says it, doesn't it? You know, when, when you die, when I die, what do I want people to say about me? What do you want them to say about you? You know, I hope my daughters will say I was a good father and my wife will say I was a good husband. I'm hoping you'll say that I was a faithful gospel preacher. But for you and I, as New Testament Christians, there has to be two words that are there before anything else. And those words have to be Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ has to be the message of our life. And if it is, and if he is, then we'll be a good husband, we'll be a good parent, we'll be a faithful child of God. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about why Jesus should be the message of our life and when he should be the message of our life and how, can we, can be, how we can be sure 
that he is the message of our life. We think about why Jesus should be the message of our life. Ever think what Jesus gave up to come to earth? Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, and this is the chapter 4 and 5 is the throne scene of God. But, but notice what those surrounding, those living creatures, those angels, those, those uh, elders, as they're surrounding the throat of God in chapter 4, they're singing praises and saying, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. But in chapter 5, they're saying these praises to the lamb that was slain. And notice what he says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Imagine every moment, every moment, every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, constantly being surrounded. And those around the throne singing praises and praising the lamb that was slain. The word, as John says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And the Bible tells us that though Jesus thought equality with God, not something to be grasped, to be held onto, to just grab onto and not let go, that he humbled himself and came in the manner and likeness of man, a servant. Have we ever really thought about that? That God would come to earth so that our sins might be forgiven. That in and of itself makes him worthy of our love. (coughs) Worthy that he should be the message of our life that we should proclaim and should show in everything that we do. Jesus is important. He's more than important. He is my life. Paul said, for me to, die, for me to live as Christ and to die as again. He, he says, I am no longer, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Everything about Paul, he says, is about Christ. He loved us enough to come from heaven to earth. And when he came to earth, he didn't come to 21st century United States of America, did he? He didn't come when there was electricity. He didn't come when there was cars, electric cars, gasoline cars. He didn't come when there was air con. He came at a time into an area that was dusty and dirty and smelly. Some of us have been to third world countries. I remember the first time I stepped off the plane in Ghana. Two things I remember about that 
when that door opened and I hit that door. The heat that hit me like a force and the smell of raw sewage. That was Jesus' world. Even if you say as the Hebrews that they did their business outside of the camp, he lived in a world where there were many Gentiles. And so he came to a world that was dirty and dusty. There wasn't hot running water. There wasn't spas. There wasn't swimming pools. There was a lack of water. And when he traveled, he walked. Not in Nikes. but in sandals that were made from pieces of leather or cowhide. Didn't have special arches on them. He loved you and he loved me enough to come into a world that was nothing but a dust bowl. To come at a time when they didn't have all these modern conveniences that you and I have, if I was God, if I was Jesus, and I had an opportunity to come to the earth, I would not have come at first century Palestine. I would have been shooting for 21st century the United States of America. Then I'm not God, am I? He loved us enough to come at a time when just living, just existing, was difficult. He didn't even come in a nation that was the power, that had control over their own destiny. They were under Roman rule. An arrogant, proud, oppressive Roman rule. And he came into a situation where John says he came unto his own and his own received him not. His own people who had been saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. We're looking for the Messiah for 1,500 years. He's coming, we're waiting. And when he shows up, he's not the one we want. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much Jesus loved us. And then we just think of that. He loved us enough to die for us. I don't think, and, and I may be wrong, I'm looking at it from my perspective, but I don't think the concept of dying for another really registers with me. Maybe it does with you. I, I would think that, that maybe a soldier who had went through battle and saw one of his buddies dive on a hind grenade for him or take a bullet for him or something like that, that, that idea of someone dying, love, caring for someone enough to die for them would resonate a little more than it does with me. Maybe you're an individual that maybe you had a, a sibling or, or a parent that, that, that saved you from an imminent death and, and maybe they were injured or died because of that. Then that would resonate more with you. But I don't think for most of us, I think for most of us that it's hard to comprehend that idea of dying for someone else. Oh, we all say that we would. 
I'd like to think if something was happening to Shirley that I would die for her and, or die for my children or my family. And, 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 and I'd like to think that, but to be honest with us, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know for certain until that moment comes. Jesus knew before he came that the end result of this was going to be a horrific death on the cross. And preceding that death would be a horrific punishment and a horrific torturing. But yet, he loved us enough to come anyway. That's why Jesus should be the message of our life. Because he loves us like no one else does. When should Jesus be the message of our life? At all times. At all times. And you say, well, he is the message of our life, my life. Is he the message of your life when you're on vacation? Is he the message of your life when you're traveling away from the brethren or from the locality in which you live? You know, Facebook is an interesting thing. I have seen, personally seen on Facebook, an elder of the Lord's Church, not from here, an elder of the Lord's Church sitting at a table with family members, and in front of him sits a a mixed drink. Even names it. We just could not stop, could not leave here without having this drink, that this mixed drink that this area of the world is famous for. Now, granted, he could have gotten it without the alcohol, but there's nothing in the picture that suggests that. And I'm thinking, what were you thinking? And I've seen some of us. Pictures when maybe we weren't dressed the way that we should have been. And it's usually not us that put them on. It's some friend of ours tags us. And if in case you don't know that all your friends see those tags. Facebook is an interesting thing. Jesus should be the message of our life all the time. Not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. But all the time. I remember years ago when I preached down in Port Charlotte, there was an older couple there, and just a sweet older couple, and, and they were getting at that point in their life where they were divesting themselves of some of their properties, and they had a house down in Port Charlotte, and they were going to sell it to another brother in Christ, another faithful brother, and, and they were working out the details, and then his son-in-law the, of the, pers- the older couple that were selling the house got involved. And the brother that was buying this said, you know, if I give you my word, I give you my word, I'm a Christian. And the brother, the son-in-law says, Christianity has nothing to do with business. In other words, when it came to business, you laid aside your faith. What's that say about that son-in-law's life? Definitely says that Jesus wasn't the message of his life. We think about 
times of difficulty. And we, when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, as many of the other epistles, he wrote when he was imprisoned. He was chained to a Roman guard. And he says this about this. He says in Philippians 1 and verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He goes on to say, even though some preach Christ out of ulterior motives, that Paul was just pleased that Christ was being crucified. In other words, here's a difficult time in Paul's life, and the most important thing to him is making sure the message of Jesus Christ gets out. And we think about maybe our lives. Or maybe, as I've mentioned before, you know, when some great calamity comes or an illness comes or some tragedy in our life, where is God in, in that picture? Do we exemplify that trust, that confidence that we have in God, that assurance that no matter what happens, God is going to see us through? Do we, do we convey that message to those around us? Or maybe, maybe we're that individual that when tragedy comes, well, why me? Why does this happen to me? Why not me? See, Christ needs to be the message of our life at all times, no matter where we are. And in all situations, no matter how difficult, and especially when things are going good. You know, I've noticed, maybe you've noticed, that when things are really going well in our lives, I mean, you know, the job's good, the family situation's good, kids are good, everything's going good, our health's good. You know what word I hear a lot? It's a one-letter word. It's I. I got this new job. I got a raise. I got a nice family. Maybe you don't hear that word too much. But I do. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says he gives the thanks to God in all things. Even in times when things are good. Jesus should be the message of our life. That we understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in which there is no variance or shadow of turning. That it essentially all flows down from God. And as much as we lean on him during times of trouble, we also need to praise him when things are good. See, Jesus should be the message of our life because he's loved us like no one else ever has. And he should be the message of our life at all times, whether we're here or away whether the times are difficult or whether the times are good. And then lastly, how can we know that Jesus is the message of our life? Three things. First, if our thoughts are focused upon him. Secondly, if our words are guided by him. And thirdly, if our deeds are directed by him.
Consider the first. We can know that Jesus is the message of our life as our life, our thoughts are focused upon him. One of the things that the Bible stretches is that there is a transformation. There is a renewing of our mind. No longer conformed to this world, but by the renewing of our mind, we are transformed. In other words, it's a change of mindset. The whole concept of repentance is a change of mind. I am no longer going to do what I want and what I prefer, but everything that I do is going to be filtered through this concept of what would Jesus have me to do? What would Jesus have me to do in this situation? That's repentance. It's turning away from that which is making the decision to turn away from that which is evil, but also saying, I'm changing my mind to do what Christ would have me to do. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul wrote to the Colossians, Set your mind on things above, but not on things of the earth. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Our thoughts are to be on those things which are pure, which are lovely, which are honorable. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, we are set our minds on things of the spirit and not on fleshly things. In other words, if we want to make sure that Jesus is the message of our life and we want to make sure that we, he is the message of our life, we need to have the right mindset and work towards that. And it's pretty obvious, at least to us, to me. If I have the right mindset, I'd like to say every day it's the right mindset, but some days it's not. And when those days come, I ask God's forgiveness, and I try to do better the next day. The worst thing that I could do is give up. But if I want to make sure that the Jesus is the message of my life, when I do not set my mind on things up above, that tomorrow I will. The next moment I will. Secondly, if I want to make sure that Jesus is the message of my life, it's going to affect my words. I've always found it interesting that young people that have gone right out of high school and maybe into college and started preaching or preaching school but never worked in the secular world, how difficult it is for them to understand life in the secular world especially working in the secular world. I was 40 years old before I started preaching full-time, preached off and on before that. But when you work in a factory, or you work construction, or you work in the world, the language is totally different than what you hear when you're here and what you hear hopefully in your home situation there are words that are horrible 
horrible. Words that degrade our Lord and degrade ourselves when we say them. See, if Jesus is the message of my life, I've got to be careful with my words. And not just those ones that we think about, those bad words, but how I phrase things when I'm dealing with others. In other words, do my words, are they seasoned with grace like Paul wrote to the Colossians? Do they build up rather than tear down as Paul wrote to the Ephesians? Or do my words, by the way that I group words that may be not bad words within themselves, but by the way that I group them or by the way that I say them or my body language behind them, hurt rather than help, tear down rather than lift up. God must want me to think about that because James says we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. In other words, I need to be thinking about what comes out of my mouth. Thirdly, I can be sure that Jesus is the message of my life if it's manifested in my deeds. Initially, that involves our relationship with God. We live at a time when grace has become cheap. Just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Just accept Jesus as your personal savior. And and I wish that was true. But it's not in the Bible. The Bible says we must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must have faith that, that his death on the cross, the blood that he shed, washed away our sins. I must trust in that and have confidence in that. But the Bible also says that if I have true faith, then I'm going to manifest that faith through my deeds. James chapter 2, verse 14 through the end of the chapter. James says that faith without deeds is empty. It's worthless. It's demonic. It's the same kind of faith that demons has. And that it doesn't profit us anything, and is dead. So my deeds have to manifest this faith that I have in Jesus Christ, and initially that's done by, obviously, making that change, that change of mind. I'm going to turn from sin, turn to following Christ. The Bible calls that repentance. Then and only then can I proclaim that Jesus is the Lord and I believe he is the son of the living God because if I make that confession but I haven't changed my life or I'm not willing to change my life then I'm nothing more than a hypocrite but what about my past sins Jesus said through his inspired writers that baptism immersion in water is the point that we are buried with Christ. 
buried into his death. That like the resurrection, we arise to walk in newness of life. Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. In every instance we see baptism before salvation because sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. And my prayer alone will not give, free me from my sin. God says baptism is that initial way. John tells us later in 1 John chapter 1 that if we are Christians, we've already been immersed. We've already been added to the Lord's church. We've already been accounted among the saved that then if we sin, we can repent of it, acknowledge it, repent of it, and ask God's forgiveness and he will forgive us. But prayer is a spiritual blessing that is only found in Christ Jesus And we are baptized into Christ, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. I don't have that blessing of prayer until I have been buried with Christ through baptism. That's one way in which I manifest that Jesus is the message of my life. And then upon that, then I live according to what he has told me to do. I worship God in the way that he has directed through his inspired writers. I serve God in the way that he has told us through his inspired writers. And other everything I need to learn to be pleasing to God, to make me perfect, complete under every good work, is found within the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then I can know that Jesus is the message of my life. So obviously the question we end with, is Jesus the message of your life? Has his love caused you to put him first and foremost in your life? Do you do that at all time and in every situation? Is he the message of your life? And do you demonstrate And know for certainty that he is the message of your life. Because you can open up his word and see that you have manifested what he has directed in your life. When I die, if my family is still alive, I want them to say he was a good husband. He was a good father. He was a good son. But most of all, I want people to say, Jesus was the message of his life. And we want that for you as well. If you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Christ through baptism, we urge you to do so. That is the beginning step. And we're ready to help you. If you'd like to study more on this, we're willing to study with you. If you are a New Testament Christian, and as you think about some of the things that we studied this morning, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus truly the message of my life? And if you cannot answer that in the affirmative, 
God's not going to change. If you want his blessings, you have to make that change. But we'll help you in any way we can. And we urge you to come and let us know how we can help as we sing this song of encouragement.